Psalm 69 is a psalm for the distressed soul. A psalm for the distressed soul. In the midst of a crisis, David is drowning in depression and oppression. He struggles not only with physical illness, but also from enemies who seek to destroy him, the elders who speak against him, and his own family who has forsaken him. As such, David pleads to God to rescue and restore him. Indeed, this psalm gives comfort and hope to those distressed by the circumstances of this life. Because of the length of this psalm, we're going to divide it into two parts. So part one, we'll look at verses 1 through 18. And then in part two, we'll look at the remainder of the 36 verses. So for today, we're going to look at a psalm for the distressed soul, Psalm 69, part one, prayer, verses 1 through 18. And we're going to divide verses 1 through 18 into three parts. So, part 1, or part A, complaint, verses 1 through 4. So here's the first part of David's prayer in his psalm for the distressed soul. Verse 1 through 4. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying, my throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongly my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. David begins by calling upon God for deliverance. Save me, O God. And the reason for his cry is clarified almost immediately. Waters are rising. Problems are rising. He's literally up to his neck in problems. And at the same time, he has nothing upon which to stand. He says, I've sunk in deep mire. There's no foothold. The floods are overflowing. He's going down. The waters are coming up. His circumstance, his situation is perilous. And he is death from his perspective, is near. Now, he goes on to say that he is weary with crying. His throat is dry. His eyes are dim as he waits for God. And I think that's so significant because so often when we as believers find ourselves in similar distressing situations, we could probably feel just like David. You know, we're crying out, we're calling out to the Lord to the point where our throat is dry, our eyes are, are dim, we've strained our eyes crying out to God uh, from all the tears and so forth. And well, notice, how, though, here, the personal possessive pronouns. My God. David, even though he has yet to hear from God, he is still crying out to his God. He has not abandoned God because God has not abandoned him. So here's David drowning and sinking in his crisis, but still enduring. Still enduring. Yes, he's in grief. His heart is broken. His heart is crying out for the Lord to give a word or a work. And then we have his enemies, those who hate him without a cause. They're more than the hairs on his head. In other words, you know, he's got numerous enemies. He's lost count. But he says their attack upon him is unjust. They've wrongfully accused him with lies, with deception, with falsehoods. Uh, the last clause there in verse 4 is a proverb based upon Leviticus 6.5. In Leviticus 6.5, the law says that a thief is to return what he has stolen or give the equivalent thereof. 
Well, but David is basically saying, listen, I've stolen nothing. I'm innocent, yet um, I still have to restore what I did not steal. Which kind of gives the idea that these enemies have made accusations and people are believing the accusation to the point that David's been convicted of something he did not do, but he's got to pay the penalty of the crime. Also interesting is that verse 4 is, a, is very messianic. In fact, the whole all four verses here are messianic, but verse 4 in particular. Uh, because in John 15, 25, Jesus quotes this verse. They hated me without cause. Jesus is asserting that his experience on the cross fulfills the lament of the psalmist here. Not only was Jesus unjustly hated, but his enemies were numerous and he was falsely charged. No doubt, like Psalm 22, Psalm 69 was upon his heart. No doubt he was nurtured by David's prayers in both Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 as he went to the cross because he was the ultimate innocent who suffered without cause, without a just cause. And again, we can really look at verses 1 through 3 and see them on the cross as well. You know, Jesus was crying out for deliverance. Uh, he was drowning in, in, in that situation. The, the circumstance was overwhelming him. Uh, didn't he cry out, you know, Lord, if it possible, take this cup from me. He was waiting on God. Certainly we know that his throat was dry. He was parched. And as we as believers, when we think about verses 1 through 4, you know, we too find ourselves just like Jesus and just like David in overwhelming circumstances, circumstances that seem to overwhelm us, that we feel like we're just drowning in them and, and we, we've got nothing to hold on to, nothing to stand upon, and we're just floundering there in the midst of our circumstances. But let's remember what Peter says, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, but rejoice to the extent that you may partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You know, and that's what we have to keep in mind, that, you know, we're not going through this alone, and just as God delivered David and God delivered his own son, God will deliver us as well. But the first part of David's prayer is a complaint. And, you know, when you find yourself in distressful situation, pray to God. And you know what? The, let the first part of your prayer be a complaint. Lay out to God everything that you're feeling lay out everything that you're struggling with going through thinking put it all out there as a complaint now go down to verse 5 through 12 and we see the second part of david's prayer and that's the condition oh god it is you who knows my folly and my wrongs are not hidden from you may those who wait for you not be ashamed through me O god god of hosts may those who seek you not be dishonored through me O god of israel because for your sake I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's son. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made, a sackcloth, when I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate talk about me. And I am a, the song of the drunkards. You know, David does something interesting here. He confesses his foolishness to God. That's his condition. He said, you know, uh, you know he's talking about, you know, I'm a fool. I feel, I feel like I've been foolish. Now, to be honest, there's an issue here we have to deal with because Proverbs 12.23 says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of the fool proclaims foolishness. Is David being a fool here? 
It certainly seems like that. He's professing his foolishness. Nonetheless, he says, God knows my sins or trespasses. And perhaps, you know, as David thinks about his sins, they are foolish. And nonetheless, he, he puts it out before the Lord. Nonetheless, he says, I'm innocent. Yes, I'm conscious that God knows me more deeply than I know myself. I'm not claiming to be perfect. But I know that in this situation, I am innocent. Okay? The, the, my, my distress, my, the oppression, the circumstances I'm dealing with are no fault of my own. But then he goes on and he says, Lord, I also don't want to be a stumbling block to others. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me. And that's interesting because, you know, people are watching us. And they're watching how we all deal with difficulties, with distress, with oppression. And so David, knowing that, is praying now, Lord, here's my condition. Yes, I'm innocent. Yes, this is no fault of my own. But Lord, guard me so that how I react, how I respond in this situation is not going to become a stumbling block to others. He then calls on God, the Lord God of hosts, to deliver him. That's the God who commands angelic armies. The parallel clause in verse 6 uh, says, those who seek God will not be confounded. The word seek, unique term there, means to worship. Those who come and worship God will not be confounded. That is, they will not be humiliated. Now, here's the true foolishness, okay? The true foolishness comes out as we get down into this psalm when he says, I've become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. See, the foolishness here is not in his relationship with God, but in his relationship with people, including his own family. He's become a reproach for the sake of his faith because of his faith in God. His family has abandoned him, has forsaken him. Now, that's just foolishness. The word reproach here means slander. He's been slandered by his enemies, by his former friends, by his, uh, quote-unquote, estranged family. He continues saying, dishonor has covered my face. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. Uh, you know, he's lost his family ties. And with the loss of family ties comes a loss of identity. You know, sometimes, you know, in, in distressing situations, it causes, quote-unquote, our family to distance themselves, you know. Oh, well, certainly they're there when they want something, when they need something, but when you're going through something, suddenly, man, they're gone. They're, they're, they're nowhere to be seen. You've become a byword, if you will, as the Bible here says. You've become a proverb, all right, you're, you're an example of what happens uh, when the going gets tough. You keep going, but don't be surprised when people abandon you. Now, his family's reaction, we see in verse 9, is because of his zeal for God's house, his uh, jealousy for God's house. He, he, without getting too deep into the background here, Basically, David is longing to cleanse and reform God's house, restore God's house, so that it can be a place of pure, unadulterated worship. And because his, his attention is on that, you know, his family is just mocking him. 
you know, and, and we, we think of, of uh, one of David's wives, the uh, daughter of Saul, who when David came returning to Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant, and he was dancing and, and shouting, and she, she, she looked at him and mocked him, had, had disdain for him. Here David was enraptured in worship of God, and she didn't want anything to do with that, because she thought he was being a fool. He was a reproach. Uh, he says, I, I've, I've basically, he says, I'm, I'm like a man in sackcloth. Uh, now, when somebody wore sackcloth in that culture, it was an outward identification of their mourning or their repentance. And uh, David goes on to say, he's even been attacked by those who sit in the gate, the judges, the elders. He's become the song of drunkards. Drunkards are singing about David's issues here. Uh, he's become the subject of coarse humor and public rejection. And uh, it's a situation that has distressed, has caused more distress for David. So not only is David distressed by the situation, but now this just adds to it. And isn't that so often the case is, you know, when we're going through a distressing situation, it's just like everything piles up. You know, it's not just one thing. It's five things. It's ten things. It's twenty things. It's a hundred things. But, you know, this was even true of Jesus. David was a laughing stock. Jesus was a laughing stock. The rollers rejected him. He was reproached uh, as, as the son of God. They, they slandered him. They mocked him. Nonetheless, Jesus endured. And so can we. So, as you pray in your distress, first part, lay out your complaints. Second part, let's deal with your condition. Lord, this is who I am. Hey, if there's any sins, confess it, forsake it, get it out of the way. If you're innocent, proclaim you're innocent. But also, listen, Lord, I don't want to be a stumbling block. Help keep me, you know, from sinning. Keep me from being a stumbling block. Uh, and, and Lord, this is how people are treating me. This is how I'm feeling. You know, lay that all out. Lay that condition out. And then that brings us to the last part of David's prayer, and that is his craving in verses 13 to 18. But as for me, my prayer is for you, or is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving grace. Deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes and from the deep waters. May the flood of water not overflow me, nor the deep swallow me up, nor the pit shut its mouth on me. Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. According to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me and do not hide your face from your servant. For I am in distress. Answer me quickly. O draw near to my soul and redeem it. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know, in, in a sense, we're, we're going back to the theme of verses 1 through 4 in the sense that, you know, he's crying out to God, my prayer is to you. Uh, Lord, answer me in the acceptable time. Answer me when you're ready. And, and that's interesting because as, as David, you know, craves an answer, I mean, I mean, he's almost demanding, God, answer me, hear me, I need an answer. Uh, stop ignoring me. We, we, we find, you know, the, the depth of David's stress here. But that comes out in this craving. And you know what? He's not condemned for that. And there's nothing wrong when you and I are going through a time of distress that as we're praying, you know, we're just putting it out there to the Lord. Uh, you know, Lord, this is what I need. This is what I want. Uh, this is where I'm at. And uh, at the same time, Lord, answer in your time. So don't get ahead of God. You know, yes, God, give me an answer, but 
in your time. And again, that's an example that we see even with Jesus, not my will, but, but thine be done. Yet, nonetheless, the, he, David's not presuming upon God. He knows the answer is going to come in God's time, and he's confident of that because of the greatness of your loving kindness. He knows that God is going to keep his promise, and that God's truth is that he is faithful and he will rescue David. God I'm craving for deliverance from the mire. Pull me up out of the mud that I've been slipping in. Let me not sink. You know, basically deliver me from my foes. Get me out of these deep waters. He spells out the threat. But notice he also underscores his request with a fresh reminder of who God uh, is. Answer me, O Lord. Why? For your loving kindness is good. Your covenant love completes me. God, turn to me because of your mercy, because of your grace, because of your goodness. Do not hide your face from your servant. See, in love, God turns towards us. In wrath, he turns away from us. David is saying, God, out of love, turn to me. That's his craving. And as you crave this part of your prayer, as you come to this craving part of your prayer, your craving in distress needs to be for God, not just to answer you, but for God to turn toward you in love. Notice the request, verse 17, I am in distress. Of course, he's elaborated on that throughout the previous uh, uh, 15, 16 verses, but nonetheless, he needs action now. Answer me quickly. And boy, do we see the tension, and don't we experience that tension between our need and God's timing. But again, I remind you of Luke twenty-two forty-two: Father, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Folks, that is our example. And like the psalmist, let's draw near to God. Let's lay out our complaint. Let's lay out our condition. And let's lay out our craving as we go through these times of distress. And as we continue this next time, in part two, we're going to see how God answers the prayer of the distressed soul. Father God in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you in our distresses, in our times of trouble, in our calamities. And Father, that we can lay out to you our complaint, that we can lay out our true condition, and that, Lord, we can tell you what our cravings are, what our desires are. And so, Father, if there's someone even now listening who's going through some distress, I pray that, God, you'd give them comfort in these 18 verses, that, Father, it might give them a pattern for how to pray and how to come to you, Lord, and that in doing so, as they pray, you might answer them and give them relief and set them free from their troubles. We pray in your Son's precious name. Amen.